book of Isaiah, ch chapter 9, if you want to find your way there. I'm really uh, glad to be here this morning, excited to be here. Yesterday, our uh, youth gave um, a program over at uh, Pioneer's Home. And uh, I, Susie and I went to see it, and there's uh, a nurse in there kept acting like that I belonged in there or I should be in there, and but I was able to escape. And that nurse name was Hickman. I don't know if you heard that name before, but he was acting like I should have been a resident in the Pioneer's home. But I'm not. I'm here today. And we're going to look at, again, uh, some things concerning the virgin birth. When we come to the book of Isaiah, it's a, it's, it's a little bit different than some of the other books like, uh, like Chronicles or 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. Those are all in chronological order, and they lay out events in time in a chronological way. But when we come to the book of Isaiah, it's more thematic, and, and you get different themes and different thoughts in nearly every chapter. The only, the only real division would be in chapter 40, and from chapter 40 to chapter 66, the end of Isaiah, it's more of messianic stuff, more about the return of Christ and the coming of Christ. <clears throat> of course, uh, one of the great verses concerning the birth of Christ is in chapter 7 and 14 where it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And of course that was fulfilled in Mary. When we go a little bit further in chapter nine, we have uh, again some vital information concerning Christ and his coming. And so let's begin in verse one. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nations and not increased the joy. The joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast spoken, that before thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord host will perform this. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would uh, guide our thoughts today, that your spirit would speak to us, that these truths might be engrafted into our lives. Lord, I want to work with you today and, and labor in your yoke and see your hand work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to first note there in verse 6, where it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Of course, that speaks about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, him becoming a God, becoming a man. And you, the, the significance of that verse, a, a child is born, but a son is given. Mary, to Mary, a child was born, but, but a son was given that was already in existence. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed. And uh, here, not only was a child born, but a son that has always been was uh, coming to this world. We find the record of that, and you won't need to turn there, but in the book of Matthew where it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And this taxing was uh, like a census that also had money applied to every individual that Rome collected. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, uh, there a son given, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Uh, just a little rabbit trail. Uh, um, but it says swaddling, swaddling clothes. That's very interesting. And also that there was no room for him in the inn uh, the word, that, that word in does not, it doesn't equal hotel. It's kataluma, and it means, uh, it means a large room. When Jesus sent them to find a large room in order to have the Passover meal before he went to the cross, it was the same word that was used. And so... There's an interesting thing going on here 
We're going to find later that there were shepherds in the field watching all their flocks by night. And they said that uh, they, they talked, uh, they, they, uh, the angels appeared. And they said that you will find him uh, to the angels. She brought forth the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. But to the angels, they described that to the shepherds. And the shepherds didn't say, where is it at? But they automatically knew where it's at. And so it, it seems like what had happened is that the swaddling clothes is interesting and in that these shepherds that were out in the field watching over their flocks by night, they were wa watching over uh, lambs that were going to be used in sacrifice. And so when those lambs were born, they brought them to this house, which had a... Back then, I should have brought some pictures, but uh, of course they had flat roofs. But the, but, they, but the people dwelt upstairs, and in the bottom of these, uh, in the bottom of these were, was, um, I, I won't draw anything, <laughs> it's where the animals lived, where they fed the animals and brought them in. And there were, there were actually mangers in the houses. This upper room, all the, all the relatives of David had come back to Bethlehem, and this room was full. But when they talked about, when they talked about swaddling clothes, what would happen is when a lamb was born, and it was, it was as they could see it at its birth, that it was without spot or blemish, there was no blemish in them, that they were good for sacrificing, they would take the lamb and they would wrap him in cloth and lay him in, the, lay him in a place where he couldn't move around so he wouldn't go and bump into something or break his leg or, or cause something that would give him a blemish. And so when Jesus is born, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. It wasn't like a... a, a a horse stall or it wasn't like a barn that he was in but he was in the same house and he was uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes symbolic that one day he would be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world but the point is that a child was born as it says here in verse 6 God in eternity past, had predetermined that the second person of the Godhead, we say second person, uh, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, uh, just to identify them. But there is no second person or third person in, in order. There are three in one. There's God. And God consists of Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word was made flesh. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law. For the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And you know that when uh, Jesus talked about, I'm the son of God, 
They took up stones to stone him because to claim you're a son of God was to claim deity. The, the, the nature of, uh, of, of children that you bear is the nature of their parents. Well, if to be the son of God would have to be God. And so when it says in this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, it has to speak of someone that was in existence before. And then it says in this that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And actually, although there's a comma in most Bibles between Wonderful and Counselor, it really goes together. He's the Wonderful Counselor. And so when we're thinking about the birth of Christ, we, uh, we get involved in, you know, the manger scenes and the little babies and stuff. But as we've already talked about in our other two lessons, that what was placed in Mary's womb was a seed complete and separate, no part from Mary, no part from Joseph, no part from uh, any man. And he was holy, that holy thing that was in, within him. And uh, he developed in the inner womb like a man, but he was very God. Now, wonderful counselor. Our world is uh, messed up. And it's always been messed up. <laughs> ever, since, ever since Satan tempted Eve in the garden and sin passed upon Adam and then upon us for all his sin, We've been messed up. Man needs to be counseled. I, I'll probably chase a lot of rabbits today, but I was, if you study it out, when you're thinking about counseling, before the fall, before Adam and Eve rebelled against God and ate of the fruit and brought man into sin, God counseled them. They were innocent, they were without any flaw, and the Bible said, he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He talked to them about tending the garden, and God is giving them direction, and God is giving them counsel about what to do with their lives. And so, when we, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, those people went to the pastor for counseling. Well, listen, humans need counsel. It's a, the fact of life is that we're a human and we need counsel. Your kids never automatically learned how to tie their shoes, did they? You had to counsel them. And you counsel them about d different things in life. Well, he's, he's the wonderful counselor that we need counsel. And, and when after... After God had given him counsel, then Satan entered his scene, and he gave him counsel. They listened to that counsel, and now the world's been, what's wrong with the world? What, we want to know what in the world is wrong with the world. Well, it's man's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the problem. But God has some answers. And so, let me just say to you that the answer... Jesus has the answer to every problem. And we're, we're not talking about organic problems. Uh, 
like uh, measles or mumps or broken bones, but we're talking about non-organic problems, soul problems. He has the answer. He has a solution for every problem. If you worry in your mind, you just wore out. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy labor, and I'll give you rest. Perhaps you're concerned about the basic needs of life. And the wonderful counselor says, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Perhaps you're troubled about the future. Israel going into southern Gaza and Hezbollah saying, if you go into southern Gaza, you're going to pay for it. And most of the time, Hezbollah is just a, a mouth and off. But they also said that another Arab country said, if, uh, if Israel goes into southern Gaza, that Beirut would be getting bombs. And our missionary lives in Beirut. And so, what do we do? What does the wonderful counselor say? He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We need to understand that uh, this, this world never was intended to be our home. All that live godly will suffer persecution. That before the Lord comes, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. That we shouldn't be shocked when battles flare up across the world. And so the wonderful counselor, where do we, where do we go, you know? Some people uh, commit suicide. Some people are just, uh, their, their lives are a wreck because they're worrying about their future. But the wonderful counselor says, I have an answer. I don't know what you may be going through or facing, but the wonderful counselor has an answer for you. And there's a possibility through his counsel that there could be a peace that passeth understanding. And it will keep your hearts. This peace guards your heart. It keeps it. Maybe you're troubled about This unrest in the world. And Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, let it not be afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And so he answers the needs of life. He's a wonderful counselor. His grace enables us to deal with life and deal with our problems. Paul said, there's no temptation or trial taking you, but such is common to men, a man. 
For God is faithful who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but with a temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And so the word escape doesn't necessarily mean to flee from it and leave it and the problem is still there, but it means to steamroll over it, to conquer it. Paul said that he'd, he had a lot of troubles and he said, uh, Paul wrote my, that his grace is sufficient for thee. And then Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so this one is going to come, this babe born in a manger, he's a, he has counsel for every crisis. He has a plan for every problem. He has a direction for every dilemma. He has a prescription for every pain. And he has the message of hope and salvation for every man. And then it says here, the mighty God. We saw that a child was born and a son given, but here he just makes it just as plain as could be. This child is born and this son is given is the mighty God. In the Hebrew, it's a name called El Gibor. But when it talks about the Almighty God here, it means that He's absolute, 100% deity. That in Mary, and then growing and dying around 33 years old, He's the all-powerful, all-knowing God. Jesus said in John 10, I and my Father are one. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Timothy says, and without controversy, this is something that we shouldn't be debating. It shouldn't be a controversy. It shouldn't be questioned. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up into glory. That God was manifest in the flesh. That there's, there's no controversy. There's no, there's, there's no reason to even debate it. And then he says here, he's the everlasting father. Romans tells us when we're saved that you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The everlasting Father. Before Abraham was, he says, I am. So the psalm says about this everlasting part of this name, before the mountains were brought forth, forever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And then it tells us here that he's the Prince of Peace. 
Not only do we have the Prince of Peace here in the sense of through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we have believing, repenting of our sins and trusted in Him when God is at odds with us and the wrath the wrath of God, John 3.36, is abiding over mankind, ready to fall. <laughs> that we can have peace with God, but we can also have peace, the peace of God. That he makes peace and he pays for this my, my sin. And the wrath of the, the, the wrath of God is satisfied. Isaiah chapter 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. What's that all about? Well, his wrath was satisfied. And and now not only do we have peace with God, but the peace of God which passeth understanding shall keep my heart. And that's because of the Prince of Peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. And in the future, he's going to reign. It says, the Prince of Peace. close to his death on the cross, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, people praised him and, and the same people the next day were yelling out, crucify him. And so he rode into Jerusalem humble and on a donkey. But the Prince of Peace is coming riding on a horse that's white. And there will be peace. His enemies will not stand before him. The first time he stood before Pilate, the next time Pilate will stand before him the first time Jesus was rejected, but at the last, when he comes as the Prince of Peace, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's the Lord. When he first came, they crowned him with thorns. The second time he comes, as the song says, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. He's going to ride out of heaven and on his vesture, in, on a thing across him, it's going to be written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
And he will judge among the nations, and he shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now go back with me to, uh, well, let's, let's go a little forward. Look at, uh, let's look at, uh, you go back to verse 19 of chapter 8. This shows you the uh, condition that they are in when he comes. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto him that hath familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep, and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living, to the dead? And so there, this people at this time of history are trying to find direction through demonic spirits. He said, but instead of doing that, to the law, go to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to his word, it's because there's no light in them. And so these counselors, these people that were giving advice to a to a burdened, broken, scattered, hopeless people were saying, go to these guys that will just, uh, you know, cut a dove open and pull its guts out and give you a prophecy by the way that uh, the, the guts are entwined. But he said, no, don't do that. There's no light in them. And then it says, And they shall pass through it hardly, be stead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven into darkness. The time that Christ came to the world was one of the times in history of mankind that the world was the darkest it ever was spiritually. Religion in Israel had just went over the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. It had just went further and further into the septic system. It's further and further into error and hopelessness. They had no hope. Night had fallen, and there was no hope of uh, the world changing during the time preceding Christ. The enemy's armies were on the border, especially in Isaiah, because Isaiah prophesies of the Babylonian captivity. And today, today we uh, see similar, similar nature among men. More and more, 
as religion has been so corrupt and there's not a lot of soundness in a lot of churches today that people are abandoning and uh, embracing the worldview of evolution and that we're just a product of chance and time. If we were, if we were, you know, uh, they say, you know, they say, uh, how do they say that? The rat is a dog, a dog is, is a human, in the sense of what they're saying is that the only reason that we may be better than a rat is because we had to, we had the luck of the draw that our genes mutated in a way that we could develop how we are. And to kill a rat is just as bad as killing a human. But then they flip it over and men like Hitler embrace the fact that mankind has just evolved, they're just animals. And so there's nothing wrong with killing human beings in order to help out evolution. And our world has embraced that, and with that, hopelessness. No purpose. If we embrace that truth, then it becomes all about me and my wishes. And after all, we understand that the theory underlining the, 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 the publication of Darwin is that the survival of the fittest. And so, this, though they weren't believing that way, they may have still had an idea there was a God. They're not, they're helpless. And we here today are not much different. We live in a world of restless people. The beat of rock music is a mirror to the restless, troubled soul. And the Bible tells us that there's an answer to that. There's the Prince of Peace, that our hearts can be at peace. Now, I want you to notice also, as he continues on, and maybe there shouldn't have been a chapter change here, but he talked about the condition of the people. And then he says, nevertheless, even though they're like this, nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee, of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. And so, 
he's talking about a people in darkness, and he specifically names the people in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. And I can't make an accurate map here, but remember, if Naphtali, I won't even know how to spell that, but Naphtali and Zebulun, when Israel went into the land, they divided the land into 12 sections. And each tribe was assigned a certain section. And uh, I don't have a map of that. But if you do, you'll find that, that in the north part was, was Naphtali and Zebulun. That the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulun Inheritance was the north part of the promised land. Now, when, when Syria came against Israel, the first people they come to, if they're coming down to Israel, the first people are going to be people that are children of Naphtali and Zebulun. When Assyria came down, Assyria is going to capture 10 of the 12 tribes and take them captivity. It's going to be the people living in this area that are going to be affected first. And then Assyria goes dim and Babylon comes on. And when Babylon comes down in 605 to conquer and actually take over Benjamin and Judah, the two southern kingdoms, the first place that's going to be hit is going to be Naphtali and Zebulun. Rome comes along, and the first place that's affected is Naphtali and Zebulun. Up here, up here is the Sea of Galilee. And so that affected the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. They became very... Uh, I don't know if that's a good term. Uh, they became very heathen, would be good. Spiritually, there wasn't a darker place in Israel and perhaps all the world than Naphtali and Zebulun. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's in that area. Half-breeds. This is where, this is where, up in here, this is where the Samaritans are first going to, you know, Samaritans were Jews that intermingled with other people. It's a terrible place. It's a dark place. And he says here in verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Now go with me over to Matthew chapter 4. And look in verse 12. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12. 
Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. This is the region we're talking about. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum on the sea coast of the Sea of Galilee. In the borders of Zebulun and Nathalem. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, we just read this, that the land of Zebulun and the land of Nathalem, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has sprung up. Now, what we have up to this point, we have in Matthew chapters 1 and 2 about the birth of Christ, about John the Baptist and Jesus coming and being baptized by John the Baptist, that he's, chapter 4, tempted by Satan, And then he begins his ministry. He's going to begin his ministry. He's, he's been proven faithful. He's been proven through the temptations. And he begins his ministry. And where did he begin his ministry? In the darkest spiritual place in Israel. When Jesus enters the public scene, He didn't go to Jerusalem, the seat of religion. He didn't go to Jerusalem and say, I'm the king of kings. I'm the son of David. I will reign on David's throne. He didn't go and rally the people to rise up against Rome and take control. But Jesus went to the most needy place in Israel, the darkest place, spiritually. And it says the people that set in darkness have seen a great light. He went to the most needy people in the region. Because he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad he didn't go to Jerusalem and claim his kingship? But he went to the place where people, in a desperate way, we're all in a desperate way, but in the most desperate way, needed light to lead them to the Savior.
traveleth us to the prison. Go down to Second Avenue and see the natives stumbling from bar to bar. The darkest place. People that you meet and you say, I don't even know where to start with these people. And most of the time we have to start where Paul did when he was in Athens. He had to start with God created you. I read after one preacher and he said, for the first 55 minutes of an hour session you can have with someone, the first 55 minutes you should just talk to them about how that they're a creation of God. God owns them. God created them. And then the last five minutes, give them the gospel. Well, Jesus came to give light to those in darkness. He said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Paul wrote to Corinth and said, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now go back there to, to uh, chapter 9 again of Isaiah. Verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light shine. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. The joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, as in the days of of Midian. And so in verse 3 when he says thou has not increased the joy he's saying that their happiness when this light came the happiness that they received in embracing the light you couldn't increase it. <laughs> There's no way you could add to it. And it's a kind of joy that when you've labored and you've planted and you've waited on God to, uh, to bring the water and you go out there and you get the harvest in at the end of, of the harvest. It's all in the barn. It's all been harvested. And there's a joy that now we're, we're secure for the next year, that our labor is over. There's just a, a great joy in finishing a project of harvesting and he's saying that uh, there's a joy that can come and he says he says here the result of that joy thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor in the day of Midian well what's it talking about well maybe secondarily application he could be talking about Syria and Assyria and Babylon and Greece and Rome. But a primary application is like when Christian and Pilgrim's Progress came to the cross and bowed down in his great burden 
rolled off his back. That when I took a step into the aisle in a little country church in Oregon, and at that moment was putting my faith and trust in the Lord, that there was a great joy and the burden was broken and the weight upon my life was gone. And so it's not a joy of getting a new job or a joy of marriage or a joy of children or a joy of a new house. But it's a joy that can't be matched in that it's a joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven. Whom having not seen, you love. And whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's a joy in my life that has never gone away. I'm always jumping pews or happy or, you know, always smiling. But there's something deeper than that, a joy and a peace that comes to my heart. And Isaiah prophesied of that and that this baby born in the manger was going to be the integral part of that. The songwriter said, I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of the past. For I traded my shackles for a glorious song. I'm free. Praise the Lord. Free at last. And so Jesus was born in a manger to come and do a wonderful job. Embrace the Savior if you're not saved today. Know that there's a peace that passeth. That he's a wonderful God. That he's all those things that chapter 9 said. He's a wonderful counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And, and the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. His government and his peace for those that are saved will be forever. <laughs> Think about the fact that one day peace is forever. You won't have to Lay in your bed and try to go to sleep and worry about anything. Peace is forever. All right. You're dismissed.